Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at PinnacleHealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. We're one month into spring and most of us are running out of excuses to put off our outdoor work. Now is the time to get out and get your spring gardening underway. Joining us to help us along is Erica Jo Schaefer, the nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill and the unofficial expert on everything's flowers, plant, green, colorful for Smart Talk. Erica, welcome to the program. Good morning. And this is a show that is directly for you to answer questions or I should say ask questions and have them answered if you have a question before the phone lines get uh, get all busy give us a call 1-800-729-7532 send an email to smarttalk at witf.org can be about anything your lawn flowers trees maybe even a house plant in there but uh, Erica welcome back to the program uh, as usual if you've listened to this program before when Erica is a guest uh, she brings uh, some delicacies in with her. What did you bring today? It was very good. Today you had uh, dandelion pesto, dandelion green pesto with wild onions and violet foliage in it. And it was very good. And there was some garlic there too. There was some garlic and almonds and Parmesan cheese. Mm -hmm. And also there was violet flower salt. And because we can't just have savory, we need some sweet. I did lemon cookies with uh, dandelion blossom flower petals and violet flowers on it. Yeah. And red bud flowers, too. Those were cool. They And those cookies, well, all of it was very good. But the cookies, you kind of took me by surprise because they were sweeter than I they expected them to be. super sweet. Yeah, you, you Well, I had to me. make up for the dandelion yeah. petals. I had to get you past the weed topping. one All right, before we start taking phone calls and answering questions, Eric, <clears throat> Erica, let's talk a little bit about the weather we always have to talk about the weather mm. because it's the biggest factor in when what you know all the w's uh this year has been this spring actually the end of this winter has been pretty mild so mm -hmm. what's the impact on our planning season well everybody's getting anxious a lot faster than uh last year last year we had frost up until the third week of may so uh, with this warmer weather, you know, it really gets the gardener's heart pumping a little faster. And uh, so people are already planting tomato plants. It's a little bit too early, uh, too early for basil. And it's great for cleaning up and getting outside and getting the fresh air. And there's all sorts of things you can start planting. Now, when you say it's too early for tomatoes, yeah, everyone thinks of tomatoes as early to mid-May, mostly mid-May. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But why is it too early? I mean... Uh, is there the possibility? And yes, we know there is, but the, the way the trends have been going weather-wise, we shouldn't have to worry too much about uh, getting a cold snap, should we? No, we should be. We actually should be over and should be in the key word, of course. Um, we kind of, it's funny, we, we kind of watch it for the full moon. The frosts usually like line up with the full moon, and this last one we haven't had any cold temperatures since. So we're watching that. Mostly, though, it's that the earth is still cold. So you can put the tomato plant in, and the outside air is fine, but the earth is still cold, so the roots kind of stunt, and they sit there and pout anyways. So when is ideal to plant tomatoes? When it's warm enough. Okay. <laughs> what is warm enough, then? Um, when the, well, the daytime temperatures start hanging more at like 75 as a regular kind of thing. I think um, maybe Saturday or Sunday night we're going to do 42 degrees at night again. So we start watching the nighttime temperatures. So maybe 50 or 55 as a regular nighttime is going to be a lot more um, conducive to warming the soil up so the roots are happy. Traditionally, people talk about Mother's Day here in, mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that that's it. Traditionally, yep, yep. That's still a good a good rule of green thumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As she <laughs> sticks her thumb up, I didn't notice whether green or not. Oh yeah, I'm animated, babe. You know that. <laughs> All right, let's take some phone calls. Jim is in Lower Paxton. Jim, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning, Jim. Hey, I've got some knockout roses in my backyard, and uh, on the more woody sections down at, towards the base, there's some 
blacker areas that I'm wondering if it's got some sort of a fungus or a scab or scale or something. I'm wondering what the best way to treat that would be. Well, the black areas, especially on the older knockouts, could just be that some of the stems are starting to die because they're so old. So if, have you trimmed them down this spring? Uh, we did. Uh, we, we haven't trimmed them back this year, and we, we kind of missed trimming them back in the fall. So, uh, so oh. they do have some, some of the tips are... Are uh, you know are, are kind of dead from last? Yeah, you fall. could still you could still trim them down to knee high, and then once you get them down to that 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 depth, you can remove one third of those older, stouter stems actually out of the whole shrubbery. That'll give you more air okay. circulation and more vigor, and you could choose the stems that have the black on them. Okay, so so even though they're starting to to green out, it's still okay to give them a good a good trimming. Yeah, you're you're a little bit late. Your flowers might show up later than your neighbors, and it's fine. It's fine. All right, thank okay. you very much for your call, thank Jim. Thank you. We have an email that says I have a medium sized rhododendron. It gets flower buds, but rarely blooms. I suspect my plant does not get enough light. How much light does the average rhododendron need? Uh, actually, rhododendrons can go quite far into um, shade. You know, if it's getting about four hours, do you, it, do you well, it's an email. It's an I'm email. not going to ask questions. You, yeah. um, if it has the great big flower buds and they're not opening, it may be an insect called thrips that are that's preventing it from opening. So if you want to bring, uh, you know, bring a piece over to the old garden center, we'll, uh, we'll look at it and see what, what the issue might be. And, and actually, though, actually, if you're pruning it in autumn, also that would be another reason why it never blooms, because you'd be cutting off all your flower buds. Mm -hmm. You can only prune them right after they flower. Something that uh, I'm sure you have at the garden center and everywhere where you buy plants and flowers, uh, most of the labels talk about uh, how much sun, best mm -hmm. pla place mm -hmm. to plant them, you know, instructions for, for, for planting. Um, you know, I've, 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 maybe I'll get you to kind of define this. When it says, like, we just told me a good question. Thank you. Yeah, great question. <laughs> when it says sun or partial sun, you know, yep, I've, al so I've always looked at that and think, okay, well, what does, what that, does that mean? mean? Yeah. yeah so, so full sun means six hours or more, especially. Okay, wait, wait. Which, which sun? Full sun. Full sun, okay. Six hours or more, especially if it contains 11 to 2 because that's the strongest part of the day. So if we have six hours that somehow that bridges over the 11 to two sun, that's full sun. Part is six to four hours, and shade would be four hours or less. Okay, all right. Why don't they just put that on the label? I don't know. Because you need to ask your favorite oh, garden center. Oh, is that centers. what it is? So it keeps you guys employed. Oh, for sure, so people know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to Diane in Camp Hill. Diane, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about mulch. I'd like you to evaluate mulch options, whether it be wood bark, stone, or rubber. Okay. Um, uh, within the wood mulch, there are two different grades of wood mulch. There are bark mulches, which are the high-quality mulches. They last longer. Um, it's a more premium mulch. The the dyed wood mulches are, are generally chipped up pallets and things like that, so it's good for recycling. Um, insects love wood. If you think about walking in a, in a forest, you'll find trees that are down that the wood in the inside is completely rotted out and the bark still looks great. So bark mulch is definitely better than wood mulch. Um, stones, stones look great when you first put them down and then leaf debris falls in them. Eventually, um, even though you're not having to replace it, that it gets dirty. So you might have to um, power wash them or some, you know, depending on what your, uh, what your degree of uh, what it looks like looks like for you. And then rubber mulch is also a nice recycled product. You only have to put it down once. It's, um, it's kind of pricey when you first put it down and then you're done. So as long as it's, you know, good rubber mulch that doesn't have any uh, metal in it. You want to check on that. And as far as the rubber mulch is concerned, no concerns with the environment? Um, no, not really. You don't get, however, you don't get any of the um, organicness breaking down into your soil either. So you're you're losing that by gaining not ever having to, to do it again. Okay, great. Thank Thanks. you very much yeah. for the call. Is that rubber mulch, is it old tires? Yeah. There's yeah, and then and, and they they do when they do that they when I say they the people who, whoever uh, they are yeah, yeah. who uh, cut them up they make sure they're cleaned and yeah because, yeah because they use and them I think there's I think right well I think there's actually grades of that though so the playground rubber mulch costs more because they're m they're more careful. 
you know, to make sure up. there's no metal at all mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. So right, that's my see, understanding anyways. Call, get a call from uh, Carol in Lemoyne. Carol, you're on the air. Hey, Erica. Hi, Carol. Over, over the winter, someone told me the best thing to uh, do with our tomatoes, which are in plastic pots, the kind of pot that is the size that you would get a, a young tree in. Mm-hmm. Um, they suggested saving coffee grounds, which we do, saving bananas or old banana peels, and eggshells. And then, um, oh, um, using an immersion blender to make it into a nice uh, little bisque. But how much would I put in a large uh, tree pot uh, to get the best tomatoes possible? You, you could do uh, like a half a gallon of that solution every two weeks. So, of course, you're adding water to it as well. The only thing that kind of causes me some hesitation is that they're not composted. So while they're providing a certain amount of nutrients to your soil, they're also stealing nitrogen from your soil in order to compost themselves. So you might want to um, save it all winter in the freezer so that it would be more composted as you start to use it in the spring. Oh, what a good tip. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your call. We have an email here from uh, Lisa Zortman Gross. She says, I'm the founding director of the West York Borough Community Garden. Last weekend, we planted eight pink lady apple trees, along with blueberry, raspberry, and grapes. What are the most important things we can do to ensure their long-term success? Uh, make sure that the rabbits aren't eating on the blueberries would be one. Make sure that your mulch is of proper depth, which is two inches deep, and it doesn't look like a volcano. It looks like a low bowl. Um, trees and shrubs will grow 80% faster if they're not competing with grass for water and nutrients. And especially at a burrow park, because of the maintenance that has to be done, the string trimmers can do huge damage if you're letting the weeds grow up against the, the stems and the trunks of those trees. So mulch rings, super important. Make sure that uh, if, we, if we're dry this summer again, someone gets over there and waters them at least every two weeks. You know, once a week would be better through their first year, but mulch and watering is going to be your, your two biggest things with a quick rabbits following behind that they're not eating on things. What can you do about rabbits? Uh, you this, can is do, something, this is something that everyone... Yeah, well, uh, you can do... In my own garden, my vegetable garden is fenced in, like with a low, like a three-foot high fence, and then I use sod staples to pin it to the ground so they can't go under. If you're not eating, there's a zillion different kinds of repellents that you can grab that pretty much smell like awful things. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. Or cayenne pepper, or um, we even have a a fox urine product that you can really? sprinkle around so that yeah. the rabbits think there's a fox, yeah. you know, in the neighborhood, so they like get scared and they roll. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how they get the foxes to pee in the bottle, so we're not sure say, about that. That's, that is a good question, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe worthy of some research. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, but you said uh, mulch volcano. As opposed to bulb. yeah, that's so horrible for trees. It's so horrible and it's insidious. The the um, especially in the commercial properties and stuff. The the guys are really making these tall volcanoes, and um, then the trunk is underneath um, in the volcano, so it's always staying moist. The roots aren't getting water because the rain isn't making through the depth of the volcano, so they grow up into the volcano, which makes them less drought tolerant, and then they start to circle the trunk. So eventually, as the trunk grows and the roots grow, it strangles the tree. It should never be ever, ever, ever more than two inches deep at the trunk, you know, up against the trunk, and then it can flare out and be deeper around. So the rainwater falls into it, not off of it. You know, I, I always wondered about that because uh, it, you know, when it seems as though they're getting bigger and they bigger are. When, when I see them out there. It's awful. And, uh, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who think, yeah, aesthetically it looks nice because there's more mulch there and all that. But actually, nearby here, there I, I saw one uh, this morning mm-hmm. that uh, it, it's probably I don't know 18 inches. Right, it's horrible. And if you think about you know these summer rainstorms and stuff, there's no way the rain is making it through that volcano all the way down to where the roots should be, so the roots grow up in, and it makes it less drought tolerant. And it's it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Anybody who's listening, if you have a tree volcano, rake that down. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org spine. Our guest is Erica Jo Schaefer, who is the nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill. She's here to answer your gardening, your planting, your flowering, your trees, your lawn questions. Ask her anything, and she probably has an opinion on it. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can send uh, a, a question or a comment on uh, Facebook, WITF's Facebook page. And on Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Again, 1-800-729-7532. And I do ask you to be patient. We are getting a lot of calls, but we have some open lines if you'd still like to get through and ask a question. Let's go to uh, Janie in Harrisburg. Janie, you're on the air. Hello, Janie. Okay, I don't know whether she's there. Hello, Janie. All right, well, I have a uh, what her question was be, one, what she wanted to ask, I, I should say. Hold on just one second. It's about lilacs. Uh, what lilac is non-invasive? She wants dark purple. Uh, none, no lilacs are invasive. They don't. Invasive is is something that seeds um, or spreads like crazy. So they're. I mean, dark. Do you want a French lilac, which is the big old-fashioned ones that get eight to ten feet tall? There's actually some newer um, dwarf-type ones. The dark purple one uh, of uh, one called boomerang. That's a smaller one that only gets about five by five that blooms really heavy in the spring and then might um, have a couple more bloom periods through the summer, which is unusual. And, and is good. Is good, exactly, because who doesn't want to smell lilacs? Right. Um, and the flowers are much smaller, too, since the shrub is smaller. But it's, it doesn't get powdery mildew, which is uh, something that the French, the old French lilacs do get. We had a, a question here about lilacs, too, uh, that said that uh, I planted a lilac tree about uh, three years ago. It's growing well, but it never blooms. Okay, so never blooms on lilacs. Is is it in enough sun? We're back to the full sun question, six hours or more. When do you prune it? Because if you prune it in autumn, you're whacking off all your flower buds. And what is the pH? Because lilacs bloom better in a higher pH situation. So if it's very acidic soil, that too would would knock down your possibility of flowers. Mm -hmm. So right, Let's take some more phone calls. Kathy is in Camp Hill. Kathy, you're on the air. Hi, Eric. Thank you for taking Hi, the Kathy. call. Hi, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning. My question is, let me just turn off my speaker just a minute. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We should tell everyone that, that uh, there is a delay, so uh, yeah. listen to the telephone rather than the radio, unless you're just listening to the radio. Are you there, Kathy? Um, my question is, when I plant lettuce seeds, like black-seeded Simpson, uh, they come up fine, I've fertilized them fine, but they're always leggy and they fall over. If I get the same plant from like a nursery and plant it, it's nice and full. So what am I doing wrong when I'm planting the seeds versus planting the plant? Two things possible. One, uh, your fertilizer. Are you um, using a chemical fertilizer? No, I'm using worm casting. Oh, excellent. Um, then I would say it's possible that you're putting your... Are, is it possible that you're putting your seeds too close together and they're fighting for space? Because then they would reach up and do that stretch. Yes, I am. And I... So, they're so little... How do you yeah, get them yeah. apart? Well, actually, if you're doing your seeds, I'd suggest that you put them in a handful of sand before you start to sow them. I broadcast mine. So when you put them in sand and mix them up really good, it makes them um, space themselves out more, you know, okay. than if you just do the straight seed. Okay. Yeah, that should make I'm a huge then. difference. Yep. Thank All you right. very much Thank for you. the call. Thank you. Tell me if this is accurate, uh, that many times when people use seeds, that that's one of the big negatives, one of the big problems is that they do plant them too close. Yep, together, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And then your gardener's heart doesn't want to thin them out because they're all your, you know, all your little seedlings, all your <laughs> little babies. So thinning out is like super difficult to be like, it's called culling. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to kill any of them. So yeah, you got to start at the beginning by spacing them out. And, and sand or vermiculite is great for, for seeding in with. And, so and again, that is one of the things we talked earlier about labels. One of the really helpful parts of labels is it does tell you how most of them do anyway, mm -hmm. how far apart 
to yeah, the yeah, it does. And the fun thing is, is none of us read that. No, that's yeah, just it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Randy in Willow Street. Randy, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Randy. Hi, hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, discuss is I heard when you reviewed uh, mulch, and uh, one of the mulches I'm about to be applying to um, some of our edging of our gardens is glass mulch and recycled Ooh. glass. Nice. Uh, no, it's a it's a product that it's a normal line. It's been out there for probably over five years, mm-hmm. probably longer. Have you seen it? Does it stay clean, or does it get like um, dirt splashes the way stones stones do? Not as no, not as bad as stones, and uh, usually a rain will clean it off. Uh, most oh wow! Tumbled. Is it colored? Yes, you have. Well, it's colored. It's mixed. It's variety. There's a recycling company uh, here in uh, Pennsylvania oh, that wow. actually handles it. I just uh, received four of their sample boxes into different scales and sizes. Oh, Nito, I'd love to see that if you want to stop over at HG and show it to me. Um, I'll tell you what, can I, without uh, advertising for these people, yeah. but I do think they're state recycling. Yeah, or... Uh, the or, company is Close the Loop. Okay. All right, I'll look it up. Uncle Town. All right, cool. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much for your call. Let's see. Let's go to, I believe this is either Lucy or Lucy in Lancaster. Is it Lucy or Lucy? Luce. Okay, Luce. All right, go ahead. I had... I, I had <laughs> I had two choices, and I got them both wrong. Go, go ahead. You're on the air. Well, yeah, and Lucci actually is my nickname, so it's funny that you you came up with that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, 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 my question is that we got uh, a new dog last summer, at the end of the summer, and our grass in our little backyard was okay, but the dog through the winter uh, had dug most of the, of the grass out. How do we make it come back after the winter and the moisture? I mean, it's gone almost. You're definitely going to have to reseed those areas because the um, urine is what's doing the damage there. And there are different products out that you can spray. If you see where the dog is peeing, then you can spray right afterwards or shortly afterwards and negate what the um, urine is doing to kill the grass. But you're going to have to absolutely um, reseed those areas. What what kind of dog? Uh, Oh, a border collie. Okay, it's mm-hmm. a nice dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, you could you get get rid of the dog too. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Yeah, I, th- everyone who has ever had a pet has had to deal with that that situation. Yes, yes. I think we all would make the choice of, mm, of pet keeping over, the pet yeah, <laughs> over grass. That's yeah. right, over grass, yeah. So let's go with John, and I understand John is with the Department of Agriculture. John, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Scott. Morning. Good Hi, John. Um, I'd just like to offer a cautionary point with respect to the discussion on mulches, because the terms mulch and compost often get used mm-hmm. interchangeably. And a lot of the municipalities are offering um, recycling programs, uh, leaves, Christmas trees, and such. And there's an issue out there that's not uh, shared enough, and that is the potential for that compost to still be green when Mm -hmm. it's spread. Yeah, yeah, and then it steals the nitrogen out of the soil. Absolutely. No, it's it's a much more grave situation than that, and I, I had it with my neighbor uh, last year, and uh, it's spontaneous combustion. Oh, because it gets so hot while it's trying well, to compost it's, itself. Once once it's spread, it starts to reheat again, and then you get dry spots mm-hmm. that become hot spots. So don't you have to don't you have to put it down pretty thick for that to still remain hot? What kind well, of what kind of depth are you talking about cuz most people are only doing 2 to 3 inches, aren't they? Even a 2 to 3 inches and that was about about 3 inches was the thickness of the of my neighbors. We had all that wet weather and then it got dry. Mm-hmm. And I fortunately was home working in my garden the day that, that this started, but virtually his whole 200-foot by 30-foot wide area started spontaneously combusting. Oh, wow. Now, well, thanks is, for sharing that. that. Is, my that goodness. That is bizarre. So, okay, so how do you know if there's green 
in in the uh, in the mulch. Well, or the compost. My recommendation would be is if you're getting mulch from a or getting compost from a source that is. Uh, you're not absolutely assured if it's being finished compost that you leave it in a pile and turn it and see if it does start to heat. And if it does, then keep turning it until it stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, well, thank Thanks you very for much for your thank call. Thank you. You know, we've all driven by places that sell mulch and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, see the, the, the steam, steam. Coming, yeah. coming off of it. But, you know, the, the point he made that many people confuse compost w- with mulch. Mm-hmm. Um, so mulch, for me, mulch is, mulch is the product that you put on top of the ground to keep the weeds down and keep the moisture in. And compost is what you add to the earth to make your soil um, better. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, it, it it seems counterintuitive to a lot of people who maybe don't uh, know as much about it. But uh, putting your grass clippings or mm-hmm. you know some of the things you've cut down on top of your garden in the off mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. Uh, as as compost. Yeah, it doesn't look as nice, but oh my goodness, yes. I use and, and of course the grass clippings have to be chemical free. Um, if you've been using weed killers and then you put that around your plants or your flowers, then the the chemical is probably still there and doesn't know the difference. So I use my grass clippings around my tomato plants, you know, out in a donut. And like our previous caller just said, it'll it'll heat up hard if you don't put it down thin enough, if you don't turn it a little bit. So um, and that can cook your roots. So you have a lawnmower that has a bag on a it. A bag on it. Yeah. Okay. And all then right. I put all those clippings back into the garden thinly. But you know, there are many mowers today that uh, you can either put a bag on it or they mulch themselves. Right, right. So then the clippings go back into, into the, the lawn, right. into the earth, and provide their own amount of nutrition is right back better, to the is earth. Is one better than the other? No, it's, I, I don't think myself because I can go either way with it. So on the thinner, um, when the summertime comes, I take the bag off and I just let the clippings stay on the lawn. Something that uh, I just read yesterday, and I wanted to ask you about it, uh, knowing that you were going to be on today. Uh, this was, you know, was one of those columns of myths about uh, lawns, and mm-hmm. one was about clover. Mm-hmm. And one of the myths is that clover is a bad thing. Oh my goodness, no! Actually, the um, the story is that uh, the guy that invented uh, weed and feed, which is the you know takes out everything, publicly apologized that it also killed the clover. Clover used to be the prestige thing to have clover in your lawn because it pulls nitrogen out of the air and puts it in your soil. So we, because we have big brains, kill our clover and buy nitrogen. <laughs> and we, cl- we kill our dandelions, that their tap roots are breaking up the soil, and then we buy fertilizers to try to help our soil limp along. And from what I read in this story, it said that it, when you said it used to be, mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago. No, like it wasn't. Maybe, like maybe, the 40s. Yeah, like yeah. 40s and the 50s. Yeah, the that... 40s is when the ship started to turn. Um, there was a, uh, and I have the article at home somewhere, the, there was a landscape architect that proclaimed that if you didn't have a good lawn around your landscaping, then, you know, pshaw, psh, you know. <laughs> and everybody in America went, huh? And so we bought into it. And then we started buying the chemicals in this, you know, spreading them all over our lawns. And, and again, and again that uh, clover is a sign of a healthy lawn. It truly is. It truly is. And, you know, again, the, the dandelions are, are busting down through our clay soils, which is everywhere in Pennsylvania. Well, you know... Dandelions. Yeah. Hey, you know, hey, you know, hey, hey. You know, know you love that I, pesto. Don't hey, start with didn't me. Didn't mean I was going to go out in the lawn and start uh, chewing on it. Yeah, you gonna. You know you are in secret. <laughs> Gail is in Lemoyne. Gail, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Hi, Gail. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. So I have a, a very old home, and I have a very large tree in my backyard. It's probably thirty feet plus tall. It's probably about over two feet in diameter, and mm. I don't know the formal name, but it's commonly called a tulip tree. Yep, yep. And over the last year or so, I've noticed that several of the branches, um, the bark will start to split lengthwise along the branch, Mm -hmm. ultimately will fall off in strips, and then the branch dies. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to some tree people about it. They were going to come out and look. No one ever has. And I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if you might have any 
insight into this. Also, on the base of the tree, the bark um, in probably a eight inch by ten inch high area has it's starting to hollow out, and sometimes mushrooms will grow inside there. Mm. That doesn't sound very healthy, dear. No, it doesn't. No, no, that, it doesn't. Yeah, that could be. Uh, there's a bunch of different insects that that could be, um, and also. Uh, uh, bores and things like that would cause uh, the the splitting and the bark to fall off. Um, can I? Am I allowed to say a tree company on air <laughs> to I, recommend I, her? I, she I can prefer call? just say a yeah, tree company. A tree company. Well, she's had some tree companies that didn't call her back. If you call HG later, I'll give you a tree company name that will show up. That will tell Sounds you. Great. Thank right. you. Thank you. Thank very you very much. much. Thank you. Uh, we have an email here. It says, I have ground cover planted by a previous owner that is very invasive. The leaves are heart-shaped and variegated. I'd like to remove it. However, the roots run everywhere, and when I pull it up, any part of the plant, it has a very distinct owner. I think I know what she's talking about. Here. Oh, is but that the chameleon plant? Uh, could be. She doesn't say, but can you please tell me if there's anything I can do to get rid of this ground cover? Yeah, there's something called a chameleon plant um, that sounds like what you're talking about, and it does. It has this really icky smell to it, and it is super invasive. That's something we haven't carried. We don't. We we don't even offer it for sale for. 15 years we haven't offered it and it's horrible and the only thing you can do is keep pulling keep pulling keep pulling keep pulling and it does the the runners go down far enough that um despite your best efforts it's going to be an ongoing battle mm. uh here's another Sorry. one from Stephen harrisburg says i have a wonderful large host of beds and just when they hosta. get lo- hosta sorry uh it's misspelled here and just when they get large they become deer candy what can i do to protect them <laughs> give them to someone who doesn't have deer. <laughs> deer love hosta. Um, there are other uh, there are other shade plants that you could be using that the deer won't eat, and they're gonna keep eating that. They know where that buffet is. Dig them up. Give them to somebody who doesn't have deer. There's there's you can spray all kinds of repellents on it. So you can either keep throwing money at it, or you can replace them and and not have that hassle. What about that fox urine? That fox urine. I don't think fox take down deer though. They'd have to use the coyote urine. And we don't know how they get them to pee in the bottles either. <laughs> Susan is in York. Susan, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Um, I have some. I have two big um, hydrangea plants that were probably in the ground now for five years. They've gotten really, really tall. They do flower, beautiful, like the cone-shaped type of hydrangea. Oh yeah, PG. But now mm-hmm. um, I never know when to trim them back, and they're already starting to get the green leaves on. Is it too late? Because they're really spindly. They're, they're no, no. Go out. ahead, go ahead, and, and uh, you can take them down to knee high, and you should cut about a half an inch above a set of leaves. They'll they'll be fine. Yep. The root system will will bounce them right back out. And then some holly tone. They still have like the old deadheaded plants on them and everything. Yep, whack them down. Yeah, whack them down and throw some holly tone around, you know, some fertilizer, and the root system will respond to that cutback and just just jack them right back out. Okay, it's not too late to do it. Do it, do it, do it. Okay, great. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Well, you get all animated with that. Are you uh, passionate or what? (laughs) Maybe just a little. My thumbs just glowed green. It's a little bit stronger there. Ruth is in Bethel. Ruth, you're on the air. Hi, yes, good morning. Good morning. My morning. question is, I have hemlock trees, and uh, I've lost quite a few to the woolly adelgid. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Yep, you are, you did, yep. Uh, yes, and I'm wondering, what is my best line of defense? I'm down to two small hemlocks, uh, a little taller, maybe seven, eight feet, that I can still spray by hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my others uh, we've taken out. Uh, any any suggestion on what to use for that? To save the two final ones? Yes. Okay, a couple things. Um, you can use, there's a dormant oil spray that you can use. It'll be organic. There's a The sus- same thing you would use on apple trees. Yes, so exactly. The dormant, yep, okay. That's the dormant oil. The other thing is we're back to check and make sure your mulch depth is right. And then um, fertilizing uh, with, again, some sort of low-key thing that's uh, organic, like hollytone. Um, you can do fish emulsion liquid seaweed through the season. Hemlocks like to be in moist and part shade. So especially if they're in full hot sun, we go through no, these we're, dry- we're in the mountains. Oh, you're in the mountains. So, yep. I think we've lost at least... Uh, Moving here, the hemlocks was why we moved up here, because we had so many. Mm-hmm. And then I kept seeing this, you know, the cotton 
little balls, yep. and yep. I kept saying, what's going on, what's going on, and no one had any answer. And then years later, they came out with the answer, but it was too late for my hemlock. Yeah, well, make sure you water them at least every two weeks if we don't get good rain to keep them as healthy as possible, and then do okay. your sprays. Yep, it's important Can to I keep them. Can I do the dormant oil all summer long? Yeah, as long as you've got the all-season okay. long dormant oil. There's, there's two different, um, there's two different okay. viscosities for that. All right, thank okay, you. get the oil all, all, all season. season long. All right, thank yep. you so thank much. You. Thank you for your Thanks help. Thanks for your yep. call. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today is Erica Jo Schaefer. She's the nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill, and she answers your questions about flowers, plants, gardens, anything that grows. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Maybe I should say anything that doesn't grow. Uh, she'll try <laughs> to save that as well. Save it, Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, let's take a phone call from Hillary in Millersville. Hillary, you're on the air. Hi, Ms. Schaefer. Um, I'm proud to say that I have a certified Penn State pollinator-friendly garden and and a wildlife-certified habitat. I'm opening to the article in this issue, the current issue of uh, the National Wildlife Federation, Mm -hmm. and the article is more than dirt. Mm -hmm. And I am a little disturbed that you have not addressed um, the idea that cover crops and other types of uh, plants instead of mulch, are really best for the soil and that there are many types of microorganisms that we need to be protecting. And in the uh, Paris Climate Conference of 2015, they really urged people to be pledged around uh, trying to build carbon in agricultural soils and trying to increase the, uh, the amount of um, effect that um, or decrease the uh, amount effect that things like mulch are creating, and they're not mulch is not friendly for bees. It's covered with chemicals. So really, in, you're in the nursery business. I'm wondering why you're not promoting people to to plant more plants that are natives and look at what the Amish and other farmers do with cover crops. Hillary, um, thank you very please, much. Thank- please read that article called More Than Dirt. Oh, let me take it. Sure. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I didn't address it because nobody asked about it. So you're you're bringing it to the table. Um, mulches aren't all covered with chemicals. First of all, I'm going to say that. Second of all, um, especially our nursery has tons of native alternatives and native plants that can be um, got, and a lot of other nurseries do too. The consumer drives what people do, and then the nurseries are also making their own decisions about that. I have tons of plants if people want to put plants down instead of mulch. And the mulch keeps moisture in to keep those plants healthy. I'm not saying put it down four inches deep or or even three inches deep. Two inches deep is enough. And in my own personal garden, my garden is packed. Every landscape design I do, the spacing is in such a way that there's less use of mulch. So... Uh, I am promoting that. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, but again, this is I mean, something you just said is very important, that it is consumer-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point that Hillary brings up is probably an educational one. It is. It absolutely is. And good for her for bringing it to the air and all your listeners. I mean, it, it's definitely a thing. Yeah. That, uh, you know, okay, now some of those plants other than mulch mm-hmm. and natives, that's, yeah. that's an important word there. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some that, like you say, that you use and you would recommend to some others? Uh, well, and it depends. I mean, there's so many factors that, that it, within that that is it a sunny area, is it a shady area, is it moist soil, is it dry soil? Like So for you to be a good, um, a good gardener in the habitat, the little slice of heaven that is called your own yard, you know, you need to know all those factors. Like if it's a hot, sunny area, maybe you're using Coreopsis. If you're um, in a shady area, maybe you're using a Dicentra. So there's different ways and around it um, that you can choose by your own you know, your own heart and what it is and how you want to garden. So we definitely are helping people with that. We're, we're in a program with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation right now that's helping for stormwater runoff and that. We're all about the pollinators. We've got all kinds of uh, butterfly weed. We've got pollinator plants. We've got a native table. All our native plants are marked. Um, we're not selling pear trees which we haven't for 20 years. I, I, and I have to describe this to... Uh, and I know there are some pear tree fans out there, but uh, whenever uh, Erica mm. says pear trees, she kind of... 
I don't know. You, yeah, you get a little on your face. Yeah, the hair in the back of my neck goes up, and I stand. You get real emotional. Why? Yeah, and that too. Well, they're um, they're. Well, they're non-native, so are, and so are a lot of other plants. But what they are doing is they're populating into our woods, and they're choking out our native trees, our oaks, our native wildflowers, and all that. All those white trees that just flowered, and some of them were service berries. Most of them were pear trees. So they're just invasive, and they're just they're just going into the woods, and they're crappy trees, anyways. They smell awful when they flower. They break during heavy windstorms or snowstorms, um, and we don't sell them. And it's another consumer-driven thing because they are being sold. Because people are like, oh, I love the shape. I love the way they're white. I love they grow fast. And they're awful trees. Like, there are other choices. And it's consumer-driven. So All quit right. buying pear trees. All right, let's go to Joanne <laughs> in Lancaster County. Joanne, you're on the air. Well, I guess Joanne's no longer there. She wanted to t- talk about the glass mulch, and she said it should be lead-free. Yes, very yes, important. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Mike is in Harrisburg. Mike, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good morning. questions about the uh, uh, mulching, uh, the grass, grass clippings versus collecting them, mm-hmm. and uh, any result in thatching of the lawn. Because I've had my lawn dethatched, mm-hmm. and uh, it just seemed to really help. Yeah, as long as you're having your lawn dethatched every couple years. Thatch is a normal thing that is with your lawn. When thatch isn't breaking down, then there is some nutrient um, deficiency that's happening that's that's caught, it's making the loop of what naturally occurs in your lawn not occur. So if you haven't had a soil test done recently, I would suggest you do that. When we're having our lawns on top of our hard clay soils, that's another reason why it doesn't want to break down the way that it naturally should, which you should have more dandelions in your lawn because that would help break the clay down. That, that will never happen. Ah, it should. It ah. should. Get on the boat, man. Get on the boat. <laughs> hey, thanks for your call. <laughs> I have a question here, a quick question from Susan to Fayetteville. Is it safe to plant impatience again? Is the disease over? I don't think um, it's fully over. I think that um, uh, what she's speaking about was a downy mildew that uh, we're still having some issues or seeing when people planted so many impatience over year and year and year and year. This downy mildew population came up. Uh, uh, populated stronger and it just melted all the impatience it was so sad and it forced us to look at other options instead of only using impatience which are awesome for sure and now people are using um, begonias more and fuchsias more and coleus more so if you want to try dancing a couple in I'd say yes a few flats don't do it yet Mm. don't do it let's go to Scott and Ephrata Scott you're on the air Hey, good morning. Morning. Uh, Good show you got here. Um, My question is in regards to my lawn. Uh, Mm -hmm. Every year I plant flowers and they grow like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it looks beautiful, but then you look at my lawn and and it looks like I got a bunch of dogs running around there. So Mm -hmm. the other day I was out and I tried to reseed some stuff and I, I dug it up and it was like all clay. I mean, I don't know what to do. I've been told malorganite and uh, aerate, but, you know, I- I'm not sure if I should aerate now or in the fall. So, I mean, what, what do you suggest there? Well, definitely when you have clay soil, I think some things that we forget about when we have our lawns is that grass is a plant, too. And grass is kind of a spoiled child. So if it doesn't have enough sun and if it doesn't have the good enough soil and if it doesn't get its regular fertilizing, then it struggles and you get what you are experiencing. So first of all, I would switch to organic lawn fertilizers because this is a this is an issue about your soil. So as much organic that you can put on it, you know, have you tested it for your pH? Lime is an organic product, so know how much you need to put on by the soil test. You can well, do organic about, fertilizers. Uh, what about uh, malorganite? I've yeah, malorganite. People tell me malorganite is excellent. It is. It is an excellent fertilizer, and it's and it's another organic fertilizer. So you can use that, or you can use uh, any any number of organic fertilizers that are free of lawn. Definitely aerate because that'll get some air spaces in your clay. That's why clay is so awful is, is there's no air in there. So the water can't, there's no spaces. So the water can't get down. The air can't get down. The organic matter can't get down. So aerating, um, usually people do it in autumn and why not do it in the spring? Go ahead and then get your organic products down. Hey, Scott, thank you very much for your call. Let's go to Sandy in Mechanicsburg. Sandy, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Scott good morning. and Erica. Good morning. 
Uh, I have a dogwood tree in my yard. It's an old tree. It's very big, but the flowers are not very dense. And so, you know, the branches are very long, but the flowers are at the very end of the branches. And I, I, I want to know how I can make my tree healthier and get the flowering to be more dense. Do you have your lawn growing right up to your tree? Uh, no, there's mulch. You there's know, there's a- mulch probably about a two-foot-wide circle, you know, around okay. the tree. Okay, and does the grass grow well underneath the tree? You know, like um, where their mulch isn't? Well, the, there's no grass right around the... I mean, the grass grows well around the around, circle of okay, the mulch. Okay, around the mulch, okay. Um, it, may be a, it may be a couple of things. If it's being shaded, a lot shaded by a bigger tree, that could interrupt the flower bud production. I would probably do a soil test and check and make sure your phosphorus level is enough because phosphorus is a nutrient that's more responsible for um, flowers and roots. So it may be that that's it. You also might want to get somebody to come in and do some uh, trimming, just a nice thinning out, not necessarily ever, never, ever heading back. Um, uh, maybe a thinning out would be in order. Check the pH. So soil, I would start with a soil test and check out what they're saying your pH is and what your nutrient levels are. Okay. Thank you very Thank much you. for your call, Sandy. What do you mean never, ever, ever? cut back to head back a tree like when they amputate the top of the trees that's so so awful for trees there um it exposes uh, a certain amount of wood there and then the branches the suckers start coming out the wood where it's been cut will start to rot it's an awful thing to do to a tree but when sometimes they get out of hand what do you do well that's you have to thin and when they get out of hand it's because somebody didn't pick the right tree for the right spot Mm. so then the tree has to pay the price because someone didn't look up and see the power lines you know and move the tree or buy a smaller tree so um you know you have to get with a good tree company that knows how to prune properly not head back or top them. It's so awful for a tree. All right, let's go to Georgine in Carlisle. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I don't need my grass to look like a golf course green. But Thank right you. now, I've got more creeping Charlie than I've got grass. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I have, and I have pets. I can get rid of the creeping Charlie without using uh, chemicals. Um, you're also, your answer is going to be start with a soil test. Um, grass likes a higher pH and the weeds like a lower pH. So one of the things that may make a huge difference right away is an application of lime as you know what your pH is, because that is going to give the grass the upper hand, maybe some organic fertilizers. Creeping Charlie just kind of does what it does. You're, um, you know, if you want to stay chemical free and thank you. Um, start with the pH test kit and uh, see see if you can add some lime to give your lawn upper hand there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Randall in Carlisle has an email. How can I get rid of bindweed? Also Ugh. have a vine growing in my holly bush that can't be killed. Gets a white flower and smells great. People plant them sometimes. Help. Um, white flower smells great. If that's a moonflower that's flowering at night, that would be an annual. So... Um, Whenever you see it flowering, you're going to have to take it out before it produces seed. Since it's an annual, it would seed back every year. If it's not that, um, then uh, bring me a picture and we'll figure out what it is and what to do. The bindweed is another one of those noxious, awful things. It also is an annual. So when you're seeing it flowering, you need to just stay on it, stay on it, stay on it all summer. Just keep ripping it out so that it cannot produce seeds. Uh, Let's go to DJ in Hershey. DJ, you're on the air. Yes, I, all the fertilizer bags have three numbers. Yep. Uh, what's the best, the, the, what's the highest number do you do in the spring? What's the highest number you do in the summer and one, one, what, which one in the fall? Well, it's not so much that as so much as knowing what the numbers are for. So your first number is nitrogen, and that's for growth. And for lawns, it's for greening. Your second number is phosphorus. That's roots and flowers. Your third number is potassium, and that's disease resistance. So it depends on what you're fertilizing is what my answer would be. And then you go into, is it chemical that you want, or is it uh, organic? Because an organic fertilizer, that first number might be 12 and for your lawn. And on a chemical fertilizer, that, that number might be like 46 because you want to wake up tomorrow and find your lawn is green. And that's what a chemical fertilizer does. And then it has no longevity. So three weeks later, your grass is like starting to pale again, wherever the organic fertilizer lasts longer. And so your nitrogen stays, you know, like slowly feeding, slowly feeding. So it depends on what you're trying to do. Never a higher number in autumn because you don't want things to continue to grow. 
you want them to start to like go into their dormancy, their natural state. Okay. So the first one is for blooming? No, no. The first one is nitrogen, and that's for growth and greening, like okay. to green things up. The second one is blooms. The third one is disease resistance. All right. Thank you. And very get a soil test. Th thank you very much. Richard. Sounds like a lot of people need soil tests. Soil tests. Test. Yeah. yeah. Penn State does a super nice one. I think they're um, going to say less than $15. You can get them at the courthouse or um, most garden centers can uh, do carry them. Mm -hmm. And you send a cup full of your soil off to Penn State and say, hey, what, you know, this is what I'm trying to grow. Um, and they'll send you back something that's got your whole nutrient, like what your nitrogen level is, what your pH is. Um, it just it's really a great way to know instead of guess. Uh, we only have about ninety seconds left. I'm going to try to get to some emails fast. as quick as I know. I know we have a lot of questions, <laughs> and here I'm going to you know let this one talk for on its own. Uh, your guest is your guest is great. It's such a pleasure to listen to her. <laughs> we have rhododendron that are very large, six Thank foot. You. Can I cut those way back and still have them grow and flower? Um, you can cut them back after they get done flowering, and you can cut them back far as long as there's still leaves on them. And you cut, again, a half an inch above a set of leaves. So however big, if they're six feet tall now, you could easily drop them to four, uh, maybe three, and there has to be leaves left on them. And then after you do it, give them some fertilizer. Hit them with some holytone. We have about 40 seconds left. 40 seconds. Here, I'll give you a dandelion questions. Yay. I I thought dandelions were good for bees. True, yes. not true. Why do we kill them if they're good? This is an email question. Yay. First of all, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> they're fantastic for not only bees, but a zillion other kind of pollinators. Why do we kill them? Because we are under the spell of the great American manipulation. You know, there's a. Yeah. And that's not a political statement. Yeah, not at all. At all not at all. Um, so, yeah, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, we were fed something that said if you don't have a perfect green lawn with no weeds in it, then you should move out of the neighborhood. Grow those dandelions. Do it. <laughs> Erica Joe Schaefer is the nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill. Erica. It's always a pleasure having you on the program. <laughs> it's always so fun to be here. <laughs> thank you, everyone who called in. Thank you. I agree. Thank you for calling in. And uh, a lot of great questions mm -hmm. on on the program today. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, Erica, are you going to be able to answer some of these questions? I'm gonna, the... Yeah, I'm going to be able to stay for a little bit. And okay. I'll, go on, I'll go online and answer. All right. Coming up on Monday's program, a little less pleasant. We talk about North Korea. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant high quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality.